So if you have two, Samuel, open, and uh, we'll pray together before we um, have close study of this passage. Heavenly Father, your word gives us everything we need for life and godliness, and we thank you and praise you for that. We want to thank you and praise you for uh, not leaving us in the dark, but on the contrary, uh, filling our lives with light as your word speaks to us day by day and guides our paths. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be the case um, here and now. We pray that your, your word would be guiding us and leading us, uh, that you would be teaching us what your will is for our lives uh, so that we may go from here more sure, more certain uh, than when we came in. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So thanks again for having me. Great, great pleasure to be with you all. And I want to begin by talking about a plan for your life. Plan, a path, a road laid out for your life. And I want to ask, um, whose plan is better? Is it God's plan or your own? Whose plan should you believe in for your life? God's plan or your own? Uh, Whose plan should you live for and dedicate your life to? Which one? Now, a Christian will always say God's plan, every time. And most of the time, they believe that. But not all the time, and not every time. There are times when I think to myself, is this Jesus, God, kingdom stuff really real? And uh, um, if it is real, is it as important um, as I've been led to think? Maybe I'm being told from the front that it's more important than it actually is. Are you with me? See, a Christian will always say God's plan, every time. God's plan. And most of the time we do believe that, but not all the time. Sometimes there is a sneaking suspicion, a nagging doubt, a haunting feeling that goes through me that my own way could be better. My own way could be a better way to go. So today we're going to look at David's plan. Did you see his plan as it was read out? We're going to look at David's plan. And let me tell you, it's a really good plan. Makes reasonable sense. His motives behind it are great. So we'll look at David's plan, number one. And then number two, we're going to look at God's plan. And Because what we're going to see is that God's plan completely swallows David's plan up. Well, David's plan was a good plan. God's plan completely swallows that plan up rightly. Because God's plan is huge, it is glorious, it is eternal, it is conquering. It is really, really wonderful to see God's plan. And so David, he puts his own plan aside and he lives for God's plan, uh, which, is, which is so much better. So we're going to look at David's plan. We're going to look at God's plan. Just before we get into it, though, I just want to ask you uh, to put yourself in my shoes for a second. Um, they're, they're actually quite long shoes, as my wife Miranda will always tell me. Uh, she'll always make sort of, my, my grandma used to say, um, whose are those canoes? Um, so put yourself in my canoes for a moment. Um, Over the last couple of months, I've had conversations with people about lots of different things. I don't know, people who are considering making a big move. People who are wondering if their life is really worth living. People who have genuinely no idea what they're going to do with their life. I'm talking about 40-year-old people who, who have got to this point in their life and they still don't know what they're doing with their life and they're 40. I've chatted with people who are down in the dumps I chatted with people who are addicted to stuff. Each time I'm listening, there needs to be care care when listening, right? I'm sure you would agree. I have to be a careful listener. 
when I'm speaking with somebody going through these things. I'm sure you'd agree. And each time there needs to be compassion. I'm sure you'd appreciate that, careful listening, compassion. And ultimately, somehow, one way or another, there needs to be confidence. I need to have confidence. I need to have, I put here in my notes, rock hard, razor sharp, stone cold confidence. That what each of these people need in all of their life is Jesus Christ and his kingdom and to live for that, that, that God's plan for their life. Now, is it right to be that confident with all those different types of people? What do you think? Would, would you be that confident if you were in my place and someone was saying to you, I don't really know if I, if I deserve to live anymore? Would you be confident there that the best thing for them is Jesus Christ? In fact, don't just put yourself in my shoes, my canoes. Um, we all speak to one another all the time in our various churches, don't we? We all should speak with care and compassion and, and careful listening. And we should all speak with that confidence, that rock-hard, razor-sharp, stone-cold confidence that what each person needs to do is to live for Jesus Christ and God's plan. That's right, isn't it? So first of all then, David's plan. Let's do it. Let's look at David's plan. And it's a really good plan. Don't get me wrong. It's a really good plan. Have a look at verse 1 to 3. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am I, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. You cannot understand David without understanding this passage. In fact, I'd go as so far to say you cannot understand God without understanding this passage. I mean, you may not know the exact passage, but, but you need to know the ideas of this passage to understand God. Right? Saying, saying it a different way around, everything that comes after this passage, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, um, on to um, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles, the prophets, and, f- and right the way through, everything that comes after this passage it relies on this passage that we are looking at. I cannot, um, um, I cannot sort of undersell the significance of this passage. Um, so so um, you, you need to have understood this passage um, in, in order to understand David. Um, you cannot understand David without understanding this passage. From what we understand, this passage probably comes later on in David's rule. Somewhere to, it actually comes toward the end of his life, if you're doing the history. Uh, you see something similar happening in 2 Samuel 5, where it said, the king of Tyre built David a palace of cedar. Ha- ancient sources tell us that that king of Tyre, building that palace, probably didn't come to very, near the very end of David's life. And yet the writer chose to position that um, early on in his presentation of David. See, this means that the writer doesn't always tell David's life according to a daily timeline. We, we sometimes do this as well. Um, so we might, say, we might say, oh, I've had my fair share of hard days. And, and we'll talk about the various challenges that we've faced. You know, my, my, my mother died a few years back and um, a, a few years before that my brother died. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about our hard times. And we'll say, but, but God has always been good to me. And then we'll talk about some of the good things that God has given to us and the way he sustained us and kept us through. And so we actually, we actually do this. We, we don't always talk in a strict timeline. We might tell our life by other ways. 
From what we understand, that's what this passage is doing. Uh, technically, strictly speaking, this, this passage, as it happened, probably came nearer to the end of David's life. But the writer, why does he put it here? Why does he put it up front? Why does he put it at ch- chapter 7 rather than at, at chapter 27? Toward the end? Why does he want it here? Because he's saying you cannot understand David unless you understand this passage. You cannot understand God unless you understand this passage. God, David, God, the world. And, and so he puts it up front because he wants us to read everything else in the light of it. And the first thing um, that we need to understand here then about David um, is David's desire. His desire. It's almost poetic, isn't it? Um, the way he says it there in verse 2. He says, um, he says, the king is in his house, but the ark is in a tent. You see that? Or he says, um, the king is in a palace, but the ark is out camping. The king is on his throne, but the ark is quite literally, he says, behind curtains, like us. Behind these black curtains, while he's on his great throne. Uh, the ark was a medium-sized wooden box, maybe about as big as this, covered in gold, had two angel statues on either end with their wings curling in to touch each other. But it wasn't the gold that made it valuable. It wasn't the angel statues that made it valuable. The ark was a sign of God's presence among his people. The ark was a sign that God had put his own name over the people. Um, it was a sign that, that he would be with them and dwell with them. And actually, where those two angel wings, where those two angels curled in, that, that was where the Lord God was said to dwell when he came amongst his people. That's what made it so precious and valuable. Surely that's not right, is what David is saying. Surely that's not how it should be, is how he's talking. He says, if anything, it should be the other way around. The ark should be on a throne and I should be down in a tent. The ark should be in a palace and I should be the one out camping, out in the rain and in the wind and the weather. Um, even the way um, he, it says rest there in verse 1, did you see? Um, after the king was settled or after the king was at rest there. Even that gives us a clue about what David's thinking. Rest was what God did on the seventh day after he made the world. Rest was what God promised to Israel when they would come into that promised land. Um, if that's right, and this passage does come toward the end of David's reign, like I said, he's found this rest. And, and David could be thinking, here I am. I've made it. I've got the house set up. Um, I've got the barbecue area finished. The driveway's finally done. Those trees I planted have at last grown up and they're looking nice now. Um, I, you know, I've got the pond in. Uh, we've got the new screen, screen up on the wall. Everything's looking good. God's promises have finally arrived. God's promises to David have finally come true. He says, I've arrived. So he says, it's not right that I should be here at rest and God's own ark be out in a tent. Not right. Nathan, Nathan says to him, so Nathan the prophet says, do whatever you have in mind to do. He says, sounds pretty good to me, basically. Sounds good. Now, technically at this point, Nathan actually hasn't received a word from the Lord about this. Um, and we know this because in, in the next verse, he will receive a word. But for now, so he's not actually speaking as a prophet at this point. I suppose you could say he's speaking more as a trusted advisor. In a sec, he will speak as a prophet as he receives that word and passes it on. Uh, Verse 4, 
But not yet, not here. Here, he's just sort of going, yeah, sounds like a good idea. He's speaking from a wise perspective, isn't he? Um, and humanly speaking, without God you know, revealing his, his will and his plan, humanly speaking, this is a very good plan that David is, is laying out here. It makes good, reasonable sense. Uh, theologically, as I said, it makes sense. How can I be in a palace while God's ark is in a barn? I want to honour God, is what he's saying. I want God to be first and lifted up above me. So theologically, it makes sense. Politically, it makes sense. This is what the nations all around did, apparently. They all did it. After you became king, one of the first things you would apparently do is build your God a temple. So um, theologically, it makes sense. Politically, it makes sense. Um, humanly speaking, this is a wise decision. And, and so um, it's, it's no wonder that, that Nathan says, go ahead, do whatever you have in mind to do. I like your thinking. Let's go. Let's make this the plan. The only other thing to add is that the Lord has been with David in, in, in whatever he has done up to this point. Like I said, at church, we went through, we've gone through every single chapter and one of the big things that came out is that the Lord has been with David in whatever he has done. Um, it said that back in chapter 5, actually. Um, and so Nathan says, hey, if he's with you in everything, surely he's going to be with you in this, right? If he was with you when you, when you took on the giant, he'll be with you in this. If he was with you when you, when you finally overcame Saul, and you made your way to the... If he was with you there, he would, surely he'll be with you in this. And so, um, and so Nathan and David agree. Uh, it's a good plan. They want to put God first. Nathan and David agree. It's a, it's, it's a good idea that they've got. They want to put God first. Nathan and David agree. And let me tell you, when I read this, I agree. I think, yeah, that's a really good plan. Good on you guys. As I'm one of the leaders of a church, I can say it is fantastic when people put God first and genuinely want to do that. So encouraging. Uh, they genuinely seek God's glory. They genuinely seek God's kingdom in their decisions. And so they make a decision about work or they make a decision about their money. And they don't make it like the world does. They don't make it like their neighbours do. No, instead, it's really clear that they're wanting to put God first with their work, with their money, with their family. It's so fantastic to see people do this. And I can say that as a, as a church leader. They don't make stuff up. You know, like, um, oh, uh, I think God is calling me to leave my family and move to Hawaii, where I shall rest on the beach. You know, they don't, they don't do any of these silly stuff. They don't make stuff up. They, no, they, they look at what God has revealed in his word, and I, say, I want to live for that. My heart is with that. And so then they make sacrificial decisions. Uh, David does um, the same thing. He, he looks at what God has done. He looks at, at how God works and, and he bases his decisions around that, putting God first. It's a real encouragement to see people doing this. And I actually want to encourage you all here today where you've been doing that. I want to say well done and congratulations and that's great where you yourselves have been putting God first in your life. That's a really, that's a really fantastic thing. Uh, I, I want to encourage you to keep at it, so don't grow weary of putting God first and, and don't get tired of that. I, I want to say um, do it more and more. Um, seek God's will more and more. When you make a decision, you've got to be really honest with yourself. Actually, I put here in my notes, um, 
brutally honest with yourself when you make a decision. And that's because what we like to do is um, we like to justify our decisions after we've made them. And we sort of add on a God reason for why it's a good decision. Have you ever done this? So, so, so I've decided that I'm going to go for the bigger model. I've decided I'm going to go for the deluxe model. I was just going to get the normal one, um, but the salesman convinced me to get the big one, the deluxe one, the extra long one, the, the deeper one, the higher one, whatever it is. And, and, and as I'm sitting there thinking, I, I could do this, I could do this. And do you know what? I could use it for God's kingdom. And I, I, I tack on a God reason at the end of my decision. I think to myself, I'll be able to use that for the Lord's work. I'll be able to use that for, for, for evangelism and hospitality. And as the thrill of the purchase comes on me, my wallet is coming out, and I'm, my purse is getting excited. I'm thinking about all these wonderful things I could, and, and how my purchase is actually really for God. But do you know what? If you were being brutally honest, you would say, it seemed like you added that God reason on after the fact. It seemed like you'd sort of decided what you wanted to do and made the God reason to feel yourself better. Anyone here ever done that? No, I'm sure not. Um, uh, well, let me, let, me, let me own up. I have um, on many occasions. Um, when you ask someone for their advice, the best thing to ask for is their honesty. You say, please be honest with me. You know, we're, we're, thinking, about, we're thinking about moving down to Hobart. Uh, we think it, it could be good, but, but we, we value your input and your honesty. You know, is, is this just something that we want to do and we're trying to justify it with a God reason? Um, in the end, it wouldn't have been wrong to buy the deluxe model. It's not wrong to buy the deluxe model, the bigger model, the deeper model. But it's, it's not wrong. We're, we're, we're free as, as Christians. You're allowed to buy the deluxe model. It's not wrong to go on a, I don't know, an overly expensive... European holiday, if you want. You can do that. Um, there's no verse in the Bible that says don't. It's not wrong, just as it wouldn't have been wrong for Ananias and Sapphira to keep all their money for themselves, presumably. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't the issue with Ananias and Sapphira. The issue was lies. They told lies. They weren't true to themselves or to the people around. We should be careful when we add on these God reasons for the decisions that we're making. Why do we add on God reasons for decisions? Perhaps it's because deep down we know it's not a very good decision. It's allowable, it can be done, but it's not a problem to buy the deluxe model. It's not a problem to go on an expensive holiday, but it's not a great decision for the kingdom to do that. It's not an excellent decision to do that. Uh, it's not putting the kingdom first. Um, even though David... Um, makes a decision. It, it's a true decision. It's a genuine decision. He's genuinely wanting to put God first in his life. He's genuinely making a decision for God. It's an excellent thing to see. Uh, and, and he runs it by his counsellor, Nathan. And his counsellor knows the, the genuineness of David's heart. And so he, what does Nathan say there in, verse, in uh, verse 3? Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. Let's go. Great plan. But here we go. This is exciting. Even though it's an excellent plan, God's plan is bigger. Even though it's a great plan, God's plan is much greater. Even though um, this plan um, seemed, you know, is putting God first, God's going to come in and stretch the boundaries of David's imagination. And God's going to say to him, you don't even know what putting me first is. Let me show you what it means to put me first. 
David is actually out of touch, even though his plan is... And God needs to show him. And so that's point two. So first of all, we look at David's plan. And then secondly, we're looking at God's plan. God's plan. So have a look at um, verse four. This is point two, God's plan. But that night, the word of the Lord came to David saying, go and tell my... Sorry, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David... This is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Why have you not built me a house? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler of my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great. Verse 10, I'll provide a place for my people Israel and I'll plant them so they can have a home of their own. The Lord declares there in verse 11 that, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. God has spoken to David before. Um, chapter after chapter after chapter, he's spoken to David, but, but never like this. And God has commanded David before, but never like this. Uh, from what we've seen in the books of Samuel, we haven't, nothing like this has happened in David's life. Um, we're told there um, in verse 4, the word of the Lord came. Normally, it just says, um, God spoke, God said, uh, God told, something like that, something quick, something, something brief. But, but here, it's highlighted, this message is highlighted, this message is made prominent, this is going to be something huge, this is going to change the course of David's life. Right here, right now, the word of the Lord came. This is big, this is big business. It's a signal of a particularly important message from God. This time, Nathan is not just going to be giving his wise advice and Nathan is not just going to be um, sharing a bit of wise counsel as a trusted friend. No, this time Nathan will be passing on the very words of God to David. And the word of the Lord says this, Are you the one to build me a house? Are you the one to build me a home? Are you the one to settle me down? Are you the one to stop me moving about with my people? I've never settled when my people were on the move. When they were on the move, so was I. When they went up, so did I. When they went down, so did I. When they went around, I went round with them. I even took them through the sea. I, I never stopped while my people were moving. And now are you going to stop me while my people are still going? Look at verse 6. Verse 6. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. And he says, and that's exactly as I wanted it to be. I, I, while they were moving, I was moving, and that's the way I wanted it to be. Verse 7, um, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? I never commanded, I never complained, I never... I never said, are we there yet? Actually, we, um, a few months ago, my son Leon, he broke the record. You know, are we there yet? He broke the record. We're going on holidays. We had just pulled out of the driveway of the house, just pulled out. And he goes, 
oh, when are we going to get there? I said, mate, there's our ha- we just left the house. You know, give us a break. Are you the one to build a house for my name because I've settled? No, you are not the one to build a house for my name because I haven't settled, he said. I'm still travelling. My people are travelling and I'm still travelling with them. My people aren't at rest and, and so neither am I. See, David comes with a plan only to find God is still on the move with his own plan. A plan that is at least as old as David is. A plan that is actually much older than David is. As a boy out in the field, under the stars, watching over the sheep, God called him from being a young shepherd boy. Even before that, God actually had called Israel and said, I will bring you into a good land. Even before that, even before Israel, God had actually spoken with David's great forefather, Abraham. And God said to Abraham, I will give you a place and a name and a blessing. See, look at verse 8 there. Verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture and tending the flock, and I appointed you ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I'll make your name great, like the, the great names of the greatest men of the earth. And I'll provide a place for my people Israel and I'll plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer will they be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over the people of Israel. I'll also give you rest from all your, your enemies. David has a plan. It's a good plan. It's a great plan. David has a plan only to find God is still on the move with his own plan. A plan that is much older and much bigger than David could even imagine. Men and women are here today. I was going to say boys and girls, but I don't think there's too many boys and girls. But let's say men and women here today. When you bring your plans to God for what you're going to do and, and how you're going to live and, and what you're going to be, you know, perhaps you've saved up a lot of money for your retirement and you really want to spend it. When you bring your plans to God, remember this, God chose you before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined you to be adopted through his son. He rescued you from slavery to sin by faith. He even laid out the good works for you to do in advance. Isn't that amazing? In advance, before time, he laid out good works for you to find and do. And so while you are working on your work plans, house plans, retirement plans, remember this. This has got to stop and make you pause, doesn't doesn't it? This has got to make you stand still and reconsider what really matters and what I should be living for. As I said in point one, put Jesus Christ in God's kingdom first because it's so much bigger and greater. So God says to David, um, you aren't the one to build me a house as if I've stopped. Um, There is a past, a present and a future that you don't even know about, mate. David doesn't even really know about the past, present and future of God's plans. Uh, The Lord um, um, has nowhere near finished doing what he intends to do from Israel. He's going to plant them. He's going to give them rest. He'll make their name great. Um, David thinks he has rest. God says, you ain't seen nothing yet. 
This is what God will do for David and his people before there's any talk of a house. Um, In fact, he says, um, just so you know, he says, these plans are so big, they're going to go on even after you're dead. When you're dead and in the ground, these plans are going to keep going. See verse 12? Verse 12 says, um, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. See, this is, this is beautiful. I love this. This is such, you know, um, we talk about pulling the rug, you know, pulling the rug out from under people. And the idea I have in my mind is someone's just standing there and, um, and Chris comes up and goes, and they go, whoa, off, flat onto their back. That's exactly what happens here. It is a, a rug pull. Because David thinks he's going to build God a house. God turns around and says, mate, you don't know the size of my plan. You don't know anything about my plan. You're not going to be, build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. Rug pulled. David's flat on his back. I'm going to build build you a house. Um, David thinks of a house of stone and wood. God blasts that plan away, defies his imagination. David thinks of a literal house. God says, I'm going to build you a a house in the sense of a family, a dynasty, a a nation, an unbroken line that will rule... Forever and ever and ever. David will always have a son on the throne forever. See verse 13? He's the one who I will build a house, who will build a house of my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with a rod wielded by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me and your throne shall be established forever. Death is not ever going to be able to destroy this. Sin will never be able to wreck it. Time will never wear it out because this is a house that God will build. Death can't destroy it. That's always the problem for any human king. They get to 70, they get to 80, they get to 90, maybe they make it to 100, they die. Their sons take over, but their sons are usually ratbags, or they are in Samuel anyway, and the ratbag sons wreck it all and it's gone. See, death just just messes up any kingdom. But but here, God says, um, no, a son will be on the throne forever. Somehow God is going to overcome this problem. You will always have a son on the throne. Your offspring will succeed you forever. See, firstly, death can't destroy this kingdom. And then secondly, sin can't wreck it. Sin can't wreck it because what does it say? They look closely at the words. That's all we're doing. We're looking closely. I will adopt him as my own son. He's not a worker. He's not a worker who you fire. You're fired. You're out. Leave your name tag at the door. You're gone. He's not a worker. He will be a son to me. And so when he does wrong, I will discipline him like a father does a son. But, but when the son doesn't wrong, the father doesn't kick him out of the house and kick him out of the home and, and, and boot him out of the family. This is an adoption. Sin can't wreck it. So yeah, he might be disciplined as Solomon was. He'll be disciplined, but he'll never be denied. Death can't destroy it. Sin can't wreck it. Time won't ever wear it out. 
This kingdom, as time goes on, will grow and increase. It's not going to wear out and slowly rust and slowly, you know, you need to put more oil on it, more oil, more oil, but after a while you stop putting oil on it and then instant, you know, one day it just grinds to a halt. This kingdom will do the opposite. It will go bigger and bigger and bigger. It will get on a roll. It will expand and be going out forever and ever. Um, now, um, in verse 13, he says, um, yes, your son will build me a temple. Uh, your son Solomon will take over and he'll put up a temple. That's true. He'll put up a house. But he says, no, that, but that's not the main thing we're talking about now. You've got to let your plan go, David. We're not talking about setting up a temple here. More important than him building me a house, your son building me a house, is the house I will build for your son, which will be an everlasting kingdom, increasing and without end. And now here comes the Jesus bit in the sermon. Because Jesus Christ is the son of David. Jesus Christ is. He's not just a son in terms of ancestry, like Solomon was, but Jesus is the son. He's the offspring that would succeed David. Do you know why? Because Jesus was raised up to have life forever. Jesus has life in himself forever and ever. He was raised up outside of death. Now, he really did die. We know that because he was buried. And the burial means he he was dead. But three days later, he rose up. He's now outside of death and beyond the reach of death. Death can't claw him back and say, come back here and grab him by the the, the coattail and pull him back in. Death will never be able to take hold of Jesus Christ. Jesus can now be this promised son who will rule forever and ever. Because Jesus cannot die. Death can't defeat it. And sin can't wreck it. Because Jesus was a a true son in the way Solomon never was. David's sons weren't true, but but Jesus Christ was like a true son to a true father. He always followed God and obeyed God. And time will never wear it out. Because Jesus has built this never-ending house, an everlasting kingdom promised to David. Because Jesus paid for all the people's sins when he died on the cross. This means sin as well as death will never defeat it. You know, in Matthew, Jesus says, I will build my house and nothing will stop me. In Acts, it says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ forever. David didn't ascend to heaven. His tomb is here in Peter's day, but Jesus did ascend to heaven, it says in Acts. In Romans, it says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, a descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. In the famous book of Revelation, it says, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Through Jesus Christ the Lord, God has kept this promise to David for one of David's sons to rule over all things for all time. Through Jesus Christ, God has kept this promise to David. And you know what? He's our Lord. Jesus is our Lord. And so what God said to David was fulfilled in Jesus and we're a part of it too because he's our Lord. We're connected with these wonderful eternal promises. How good is that to hear? Isn't that wonderful to gather here in Latrobe 
on a uh, Saturday morning and hear that we too have been caught up in these wonderful promises. I rejoice with you. Um, We should submit our lives to God's plan. We should submit our lives to the kingdom of the everlasting king. Not just because it's better or more fancy, but because this is God's plan come true. It's an everlasting kingdom. Men and women, you would be crazy not to give up your plan or this plan. Your plan, nothing compared to this wonderful plan. We had a birthday in our house a few months ago and one of the presents requested was a remote control car. That's what he wanted. And um, he's definitely made use of it, just driving it into his sisters, driving it into his mum, driving it off the stairs, driving it all around and driving us all crazy with it. Um, Supposed to drive the car, but he drives us all crazy up the wall. Um, That's what he wanted. Although, as, as it was his birthday, we also chose some presents that we wanted to give him as well. Things that were much quieter um, and much less noisy. Imagine doing that kind of thing to God. Some people relate to God like that. They they say, um, I'd like to give something to God today. I'd like to give God a present, but not the one that he's asked for. I'd like to give God the thing that I choose to give him. I'd like to give God the thing from me, the way I would like it. I wrote this down so I would get it right. Imagine saying no to what God has actually done so that you can do something you would like to do for him instead. Because that's what it means to not fully accept Jesus and to try and relate to God on your own terms. Imagine saying no to what God has actually done in Jesus Christ so you can do something you would like to do instead. Now, maybe that doesn't seem that bad. But think about what it really means if you do this. You say no to what God has actually done. So you can do something you would like to do. See, the crazy thing is that's to make my plan the plan. That's to make my idea the idea. That my, my imagination, the way it's going to work, my, my um, uh, proposal, the plan for the, for the world for the future... But before you were even born, before the creation of this world, God has been at work through David and through his offspring to make an everlasting kingdom. That's, that's go. That's green light. If you aren't a Christian here today or you're not sure, you need to submit yourself to Jesus and follow his ways from now on, from here on in. Now, I say that with respect, knowing it's a very big decision, but it's true nonetheless. Submit to him. Make his plan your plan. Make his word the one that you believe in. Make his life the one that governs your life. Don't decide what you would like to do for God. Listen to what God has done for you. Um, If you're heavy with doubts at the moment and you're weighed down with big concerns, I mentioned at the start, you've got a plan for your life and you're wondering whose plan is it, my plan or God's? Um, If you're heavy with doubts... Uh, It could be because the things of your own life have been allowed to become bigger and more important than the kingdom. They're bigger and more important than God's own kingdom. And as my worries and my concerns get bigger and more important, God's kingdom gets smaller and smaller in my life, weaker and weaker. If that's you, come back to these words this morning. See these words with your own eyes. Like David, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You don't build me a house, I'm building one for you. 
and it will be a kingdom that will be everlasting. I mean, the doubt and heaviness of your life, come back to these words and let them be a a word of life, a word of life for you. Um, For the rest of you here today, um, let your desires and dreams be for this kingdom. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is that when I daydream and when I have um, my desires on things other than the kingdom, when I imagine myself kind of scoring the winning goal or running across the finish line, or doing a sermon to thousands of people, or when I imagine all these things with me at the centre, it becomes harder and harder to choose God's kingdom. Because it's actually my dreams, my daydreams, my heart's desire, it's all about me. But the reverse is true, that, that when I dream and think of God's kingdom, when I, when I um, imagine how great it will be, then when the decision time, when crunch time comes, I find it easier to decide for God and his kingdom because those dreams are becoming my dreams. We need to pray for a heart like David. Pray to have our desires and dreams for God's glory. Like David, pray every day that God will give us a, a heart like this. For to us a child is born... To us, the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Forever, The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that we have not lived for you and your kingdom. We've put ourselves at the centre of our dreams and our heart's desire. We've imagined ourselves at the centre. Bring us back to you, Lord. Bring us back to hearing these words. Let us live for your kingdom. Let us glory in Jesus Christ, the one who will sit on the throne forever and ever. We pray all this in his name. Amen. We're going to sing, so please stand and join in.